Okay, welcome to all those tuning in to October's Southwest Climate Podcast. It's Tuesday, October 1, and I'm here with uh, Drs. Jeremy Weiss and Michael Crimmins, both climatologists and longtime contributors to the Climate Assessment for the Southwest, or CLEMAS, both here at the University of Arizona. I'm Zach Guido, also a CLEMAS contributor, uh, and today uh, we have a 30-year anniversary episode of Tropical Storm Octave, or Octave, uh, which is fitting because uh, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it. I like I'm gonna, Octave. I'm going to go with Octave, um, which is fitting because September has been punctuated across the Southwest by big, big events uh, tapping into tropical moisture. Um, and so 30 years ago, that, that event uh, was a flood on, storm on record, flood on record for many parts, I believe. Uh, it uh, it uh, knocked down a number of bridges and caused quite a bit of damage. Um, so... Um, I guess I'll, I'm going to turn this over to Mike to, to de- describe September a little bit of, across the, the Southwest. So uh, uh, September, the end of the monsoon, what, what, what happened? Well, I have to say happy uh, Water New Year to everybody, too, and uh, happy fiscal year, too. Can you believe it? We used to have budgets that started <laughs> I'm not October sure 1st. A, I'm not sure it's a happy fiscal I, year. Probably not. Yeah, I guess we I know there's, should... a, there's a number of... of .gov sites. That are going <laughs> Sorry, over. we're making up data because we can't actually access any right now with the year. Um, so September, yeah, September was was interesting across the Southwest. It was, um, if anybody's been sort of paying attention to the news across the Western region, um, uh, quite a few big flooding events um, through Utah, Northern Arizona, uh, Colorado, the big uh, Boulder flooding event, and much of New Mexico um, got socked with a couple of um, sort of old tropical storm bursts of moisture that sort of came up through the southwest. But it was interesting that much of Arizona and the, the woe of the valley locations continued um, here into Tucson as well. We watched a lot of this moisture go by and we couldn't get any raindrops to fall out of it. But, you know, the upper elevation parts of the state still did well in September and continued to do well for the whole monsoon season. And I'm also looking at some of the data here and it's not as well covered, but um, there was some pretty epic flooding across the Navajo um, reservation in, in the Hopi um, nation as well with this these flooding events. Um, there's not as many people up there, and there's not as many monitoring stations. But we've we've had some reports from there that they've had, you know, um, pretty serious um, flooding issues uh, up that part of the state as well. So this came on the heels of uh, a relatively dry August for the most part. Well, it. it you know, we had a little bit of a break at the beginning of August. So you go back to the data. It, it got it got hot and dry. It was sort of that we've seen this the last couple of summers, and it's just the biggest bummer. Um, you know, you, you get into August is typically our wettest month. We've had a, a slowdown the last couple of August, the beginning of the month. But it it largely broke um, about the middle of the month with a couple of more a couple more of these tropical storms forming um, south of Baja, and you know, helping to sort of generate some moisture flows up through the southwest. But um, Tucson, again, we just couldn't seem to get a break downtown here, but you get uh, two miles out of Tucson and it, it's actually done quite well. Phoenix shared in our woes, um, and, but much of the rest of the state has actually done quite well. So, so can we call it the monsoon then? I mean, the, the, the September events, I mean, is that, is that mon, I mean, are you it, giving up on the monsoon well, no, just is, in general? Is, it, is or? it fair to characterize, uh, I'm looking at the map here and if you look at New Mexico <laughs> principally, uh, I mean, it's it's swamped the September um, precipitation percent of averages is all above 200 percent, you know. But to me, that's you know that's the direct influence of these tropical storms that are not necessarily monsoonal. Yeah, but I, it's in the monsoon flow, and I guess you, you become a 
you know, sort of splitting definitions or, or splitting hairs on this is that monsoon ridge was in place. We had sort of weak southerly, southeasterly flow. The environment synoptically was very, very weak. Um, that's pretty telltale sign. And these little impulses, they can be either easterly waves, they can be tropical storms. Sometimes they're the same thing, depending on where they've sort of come from. Guiding moisture into the region. Yeah, I'd, I'd call it monsoon. I think it's when you, you don't call it monsoon is when you um, have that monsoon ridge retreat and you start to have dynamics that come in from the west, like cold fronts and that kind of stuff. And that's actually, that's how our monsoon season ended, is we had a couple of cold fronts um, knock the ridge back. I mean, okay, cold fronts is such a such a relative term here from somebody who grew up in the Midwest. It actually got cold after a cold front went through here. Here, the dew point drops, and the temperature actually doesn't change at all. You just notice that it dries out. I don't know if you guys noticed that the, the two, a weekend or two ago. It, our cold front went through. I'm using my air quotes. Nobody can see my air quotes here. The cold front went through. The wind shifted. Um, all the other telltale signs of the cold front, but the dew point actually dropped, and that was it. That was basically the end of the monsoon season. And it was windy. And it was windy. That's right. I forget. It's the windy. <laughs> it's the windy part of it too. It's not windy during the monsoon. If anybody ever notices that, it's windy around storms, but day to day there's no wind. And as soon as as soon as the monsoon season retreats, we're back into the westerlies, and the winds kick up. I think when it comes to the tropical cyclones, to go back to your introductory point, Zach, it's always a mix of weather phenomena, if you will, that help these come into the region and produce precipitation, whether it's mixing with the monsoon or whether it's mixing with a trough off the west coast. Um, there's something in the atmospheric flow, you know, winds up above that are going to, you know, help steer that tropical cyclone moisture into our region for precipitation. But uh, to, to add a counterpoint here is that September and October tends to get hurricane influence moisture in, in this region, and, and October, for that matter, isn't when the monsoon's going on. So you can, so I, I guess I see your point is that the, the, the that sort of the circulation that's set up during the monsoon can actually help pull that moisture in during during the monsoon season. But you could also have trajectories of tropical storms that you know come in outside of, of of that region as well i think there's some subtleties and jeremy and i were talking about this before we started is that um if you think about some of these flooding events this is kind of an, an interesting part of this is that in the monsoon the the dynamics we're talking about sort of the energy that the atmosphere sort of organizes storms is actually pretty weak and so if you think of like a low pressure system as being a feature that provides lift sort of sucks up air and and, and causes large-scale organization of precipitation that kind of stuff it's pretty much non-existent in there, right? And so what ends up um, driving a lot of the precipitation is topography, right? And the boulder storms were actually topography. It was, it was a, a, a focused easterly flow being shoved upslope and driving precipitation. So a lot of this moisture that sort of get pulled around the region during the monsoon season requires some thermodynamics that are driven by topography or just upslope flow to drive the precipitation. When you get, I think, later in the monsoon season, and Jeremy was pointing out, is that when you start to get the westerlies meaning that the, um, the flow sort of shifts out of the west and we can start driving storms in off the Pacific, you, you then get the um, combination of features coming together as a precipitation events that, that you actually need. So the transition from late September into October gives you much better um, energy in the atmosphere to work with, whereas prior, earlier in the monsoon season, it's all thermodynamics that are at play. And so you, you can get, it's so much more efficient if you can use a cold front 
to wring out moisture and organize it and do that kind of stuff. The monsoon in the, in the core of it is pretty sloppy, right? I mean, it's not, it's energetically from a dynamic standpoint, getting too jargony here, is it's, um, it's all thermodynamics in the middle part of the season. Okay, so. That's too many multi-syllable words for, <laughs> for, this, for this early on. Is it Monday? I can't even remember what day it is. It's Tuesday. No, that, that's good. That's good. Um, okay, so it, it, regardless, um, the, the precipitation in the, in the last month, and for the most part, for the monsoon, it has been a pretty good monsoon season for, for many parts, with the exception, as you point out, Mike, of where people live, and in, in particularly in Tucson and, and, uh, and, and Phoenix. Um, but the, the, big, the big event, the big last f three weeks, let's say, um, has really changed the, the drought picture here in the, in the southwest, in particular New Mexico. So if you look at the, the drought monitor, um, you know, 45% of the state at the beginning of September was either uh, extreme drought or exceptional drought. And the most recent version is down, down to 3%. So I thought it's worth you know, thinking a little bit about um, the, you know, the three to five inches of rain that fell across a, a lot of northern places in, in the southwest and, and thinking about those in terms of um, the, the dramatic or not so much dramatic drought improvement that, that they would make. Certainly it's reflected in the, in the drought monitor, but how should we be thinking about drought conditions moving forward in, in, light, of, uh, in light of one or a couple big precipitation events? Yeah, so we, we went into this monsoon season hopeful. Right, and, but we had a lot of discussions, and you can even see this in, in media reports that were coming out in in late spring, talking about um, the drought conditions that had gripped particular New Mexico, and Arizona was certainly sharing in that misery as well. But you know, it had been a multiple year path to get to that level of drought, and we all said at the beginning of the monsoon season, there was many of us saying that we hope to have a great monsoon season, but it's going to take a while for us to recover. Then we get walloped with three to five inches of precip, you know, break some records, flood out some places. And we've, we've, we've seen to, seem to have forgotten that this is still gonna be a long-term process to get out of the drought, right? I mean, um, it's not to say that you can't have dramatic improvements in drought situations with a bunch of rain, but you know, timing is everything down here. And um, if you don't sort of deliver that precipitation evenly out throughout the system, um, throughout the season, you know, the way that plants take up water isn't, they don't have buckets that they can sort of store up water and then sort of deal with it there. Soil moisture can only do so much. Soil moisture gets saturated and it runs off and it goes somewhere else, those kinds of things, right? So timing becomes really important. So is this coming at the, after the, the, the peak of the heat and we're sort of on the descending limb of the temperature and the evaporation, like it seems like a big event at, at, at this phase could actually be more beneficial for uh, soil moisture is for for plants. Um, is that a, is that fair, fairly good statement? Yeah, I mean, again, it's it's about the growth cycle of stuff. Right. I mean, Jeremy can come in come in on this as well, but um, it, it's also thinking about what happens in the summer here too. And, we, and really backing up and thinking about drought is that the summer is the hottest time of the year. Um, it's when we have the most energy in the system to sort of move water back into the atmosphere. So when it does rain and it does get wet, you usually have a real strong evapotranspiration. So plants aren't, they're not quite as efficient. It, you know, what they're trying to do is they grow a little bit in the summer. Some things grow a lot, um, depending if they've got soil moisture and it's timed out right. But it's a maintenance type season, right? I mean, 
you look to the winter time and not getting precip in the winter has its whole other suite of impacts. So if you get your annual total of precip in the summertime, does it erase the impacts that have actually accrued from the previous dry winter? I think trees sort of tell that story and probably tell us no. <laughs> in all likelihood, not, yeah, no or not quite as Not quite as, probably not as helpful, right? I mean, I, I think that that's sort of the part of the equation that is hard for people who don't live in the Southwest to understand is when we have two seasons, we have two, two wet seasons, using my air quotes again, um, that when and how much that precip comes within the year is really critically important um, that you have to think about it in, in those respects as well as looking at the total. So getting an annual total, you know, meeting it through a couple of events in the summertime, statistically it looks fine, but impact-wise, I think we're going to still be sorting this out. New Mexico, it, they've done amazing with this monsoon season, but I, I got to believe that you go by the end of November when things dry out, some of that stuff's going to still look pretty beat up. Um, and like won't have recovered in the way you think of it because that's just the way drought works. Yeah, it's in, in terms of impacts and in terms of uh, water storage, um, the bump that Elephant Butte Irrigation District or the Elephant Butte Reservoir got from those winter storms was about 50,000 acre feet. And it did punch up their their, their totals from 4.4% 4, 4 to 5.9%. Uh, but I want to quote um, Phil King, who's a hydrologist for the um, Elephant View Irrigation District down there, and he says, uh, we get a few tens of thousands of acre feet uh, from a good monsoon, uh, but over a million from a good spring runoff season. So, yeah, uh, so yeah to your point, it, you know, the, these, these can help a little bit, but they certainly don't, they're not game changers. No. no. We'll have to wait and see what... Um, uh, what, what the winter looks like. I, so in the, in the little bit of time that we have left, um, I did want to talk about um, what happened in the, in, in, in the Boulder, or the big extreme event in, in, in Boulder in terms of a, a climate picture. Because again, um, and, and we've talked about this before, but whenever you get these big extreme events, you know, there's inevitably some, some headline that asks, you know, what's, what's the climate connection? And I think... Uh, you know, scientists have been, um, you know, they've been okay with the statement that, you know, warmer conditions bring, you know, more moisture in, in, into the atmosphere. And I, uh, and I think that's some of the, the picture. But Jeremy, I wanted to ask you, like, what's the physical basis for that? A warmer atmosphere can hold more water yeah. vapor. And if your temperatures are warmer as they have been in the last few decades, uh, you know, globally, the estimates are three to five percent extra water vapor in the atmosphere as a result. Uh, whether or not that actually played into what happened in Boulder, I think remains to be seen as uh, at least what I've seen from those studying it in that area. Yeah, I mean, attribution of extreme events is it's a, it's a young it's a young science, right? And we've got a lot of work to do um, on that. So it sounds like that group at in. Um, the Earth Systems Research Lab at NOAA lab in Boulder is, you know, already after the event was already sort of spinning up their supercomputers to try to figure out what the, the climate change contribution was to that event. And that'll that'll be a long time in coming, more or less. It well, I don't know. I think that they're getting faster at it, but the, all the attribution studies I've seen come out, um, I can almost predict what it will say. Is we'll Let's say, hear it, Mike. Well, I think that it because it, it it's going to say that was climate change part of it yeah was it the cause of it no right i mean this is going to where we get with all of our attribution right. studies is that you know it's still weather weather is going to occur and um we were talking earlier 
part of the podcast about how um, Hurricane Octave, Octave, Scott, Scott Flair, um, the, that event, um, you know, it, 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 hap it, it's, it happened in the Southwest. We've had very, very um, high impact flooding events across the Southwest, across the West. Um, we live in a, a landscape that can um, very rapidly move from drought to floods and extremes. And so um, I think it's, it's not only that the climate change part of it is going to exacerbate that. I'm not exactly sure how. Right. But we also live in, in a landscape that we should expect these kinds of events and sort of at least have them in our sort of consciousness as we sort of think about the future as well. Right. And you actually made a good point earlier, again, off, off podcast line, um, looking at this recent Boulder event and the, the, the amount of water that was in the atmosphere. You get, as Jeremy just said, you get on average, you know, 5%, 6% more per, per degree Celsius. But during this this Boulder event, uh, there was 150 percent, I, I believe, more than 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 the maximum. Right. 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 Yeah. And could this have could this event have occurred without climate change? Absolutely. Yeah. The, was climate change again part of it? Yeah. It's a part of everything now. Right. Um, okay. So where does that leave us then? Then going forward, as as we think about uh, as we think about the next couple months, I mean, we still have the shoulder season. We still have this transition into into winter. We don't have an ENSO event materializing. It looks like it's going to be another ENSO neutral event, but we still got another two months of, or another month really of tropical storm act, act, activity. Um, so, you know, what do, what do we look forward to? Any bets, Jeremy? Not for me. <laughs> oh come on, lay it on the line. For October, uh, that's a tough call. What we do have going forward, though, is some soil moisture. Yeah, good call. With, without a doubt, yeah. from the uh, recent rain that we have had in September. Yep. So thinking back to the impacts discussion we were having a minute ago, instead of looking at things from you know back in time, now we can start thinking, okay, looking forward, how might that benefit us under certain types of conditions that we might expect this winter? Mm -hmm. Is it a dry winter? Well, it might help buffer against some of the impacts. So, is it a wet winter? Well, we may have to worry some more about flooding because we don't have any place in the soils for the rain or snow melt to go into. Mm -hmm. So do these kinds of events in September, can you actually see a difference in, uh, if you had a, let's say an average snowpack, would you get better stream flow because of it? It's hard to say, huh? Hard to say, but I think it, at least it's a possibility. Yeah, yeah I think it is. I think it's a possibility. And it, it's also interesting if you look back through the record too, of in the last maybe five, it could even be 10 years now, we've, we've really dried out in October, November, and gotten really warm. So that, I think, sort of, um, at least in the immediate history, has dried out the monsoon. Like, you, you reset the soil moisture conditions to almost zero again. But, you know, we've, every once in a while, you get the, the storm track sort of setting up in November. So, like, the, that window you've got to bridge from the end of the monsoon the beginning of the winter storm season is short. And I think that's a really good point. I mean, if that if that window is short, then you can maybe see some carryover benefit. But if we do this thing where it's, you know, the air conditioning is on at Thanksgiving, which bothers me to no end, um, then that's, that's a different situation where you've then um, probably drawn down soil moisture quite a bit, you know, just, just through evaporation. Even if stuff's gone dormant, you probably have dried stuff out. So then you have to kind of start over again. Especially at the valley locations. 
Oh yeah, totally. It's still warm enough to dry things out in yeah. November. Yeah, and even with it, with these kinds of um, cold, I keep using cold, these dry cool. fronts, let me just call them that, these dry fronts that come through, um, you know, that's desiccation that goes on too. They're really actively um, sort of pulling moisture out of Arizona again and, and drawing, and, you know, drawing soil moisture down again. Well, at, the, at this time of year, it's uh, all our eyes sort of uh, turn back up toward the the Colorado Rockies and, and the snowpack conditions because uh, the reservoirs on the Colorado River are have been dwindling the last couple of years and they're getting sort of perilously close to that they are that yeah. that level that triggers conservation. Uh, the Bureau of Reclamation predicted um, or projected that there's greater than a 50% chance in the next couple of years that um, pre uh, water storage could could dip below that um, that first threshold that first trigger point for some conservation measures. So we'll look at uh, We'll continue to monitor that and talk about that here as 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 we go into uh, uh, into into the winter. So I wanted to say before before ending, we refer to uh, a few times the the Boulder um, uh, floods up there, and there was a really well done um, presentation that's online through the Western Water Assessment. If you just Google search the Western Water Assessment, you can get their briefing uh, pre preliminary br briefing on what happened during the event, and then a panel. They have it uh, recorded a, a panel of experts up there talking about it. So I encourage people who are interested in, in what went on there to, uh, to tune into that. Um, okay, well, thanks, Jeremy and Mike, again, for, for this conversation. And uh, we'll have this podcast posted at the Climate Assessment for the Southwest and the Southwest Climate Change uh, Network, uh, which is southwestclimatechange.org website. And there's also a bunch of other resources there. Uh, climate and weather related. Um, and so always, uh, if you have a chance, check that out. Thanks again.